0: Hey, this is Kazu. I'm a member of Blonde Redhead. You are listening to LSQ.
1: I guess it would have been 1994 that I first heard and became captivated by the music of Blonde Redhead and this amazing, singular sound of theirs with all of its beauty and noise. That was via a song called Jetstar on their second-ever single, which came out in 94 on Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth's excellent Smells Like records. And I've loved their albums ever since. So it was an honor to get to interview Kazu Makino from Blonde Redhead for episode 95 of the LSQ podcast. Hey, it's me, Jenny LSQ. Thanks for pressing play. And this episode arrives on the occasion of the first new Blonde Redhead album in nine years. Their fantastic new one, Sit Down for Dinner, which is out September 29th. So we talk about the band coming back together to make this album and what inspired that, as well as digging into Kazu's earlier experiences, discovering her own creativity. Let's get into it. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you.
1: So good to see you.
0: Likewise. Uh,
1: Where are you right now?
0: I'm in Paris um, at my friend's house.
1: One significant aspect of this conversation and of the new Blonde Redhead album is that it has been a while in between Blonde Redhead albums. And you had your solo album come out a few years ago. So that was, a you know, out in the world doing the music thing. But it's been almost a decade between doing the full thing for blonde redhead tell me a little bit about just kind of why the span in between albums and what ignited getting back into it again
0: well you know i i feel like i'm sort of lacking sense of time so i'm doing things at at my own good pace but it seems uh it's quite slow for average person you know you know how we at the beginning, we were almost banging out record, putting out records like every year, every two years or something. yeah. And then our sort of like kind of crisis, musical crisis hit after 23 in just purely commercial sense, because I think we still did our best to, you know, we try to project what we went, we're going through onto the album. But um you know it's almost like we we drifted away from public it seemed you know what i it might be we made a really terrible album also i don't know but um we still play those songs from like certain albums that we didn't do very well and uh, i suppose like we could have been totally discouraged and stopped doing it but um I think what happened was I went away. Um, I was quite sick. Um, I always have like asthma and things like that. But um, anyhow, I went away and I was really, really inspired. And I thought in my head, you know what? I could just make one third of the income and I should still be able to make livelihood. Then, you know, my, my, my bar is not that high. So I'm going to do that. I'm just going to make an album on my own. Yeah. Because I was all along quite far away from the twins. And I did that. And I had a, really a blast. Which I think it gave me kind of renewed uh, strength to keep keep going. Also, the fact that I stepped away completely made me, yeah, it just gave me a lot of um, boost. You know, self-awareness and just c- confidence in my ability to make music because I, I used to fear that I maybe I'd be able to make music only with the twins. That was my sort of a suspicion or fear, you know, but then it, it wasn't, I had a, actually really good time working with other musicians. Of course, they were quite amazing. So yeah. And then I tour with them and just, you know, I'm still like really close friends with, with the, with my, solo band and they become sort of like uh, another family for me but then when I came back Amadeo was pretty quite ahead with his songs and then of course he's like a really major songwriting partner for me so we started working together as pandemic brought me back into New York City and then yeah we spent under the same roof for like uh, three, four months. And then, yeah, we had another album like that.
1: Did you feel like going into it more, um, a different kind of confidence coming out of yeah. the solo album? Like how, what was different about it this time for the first time?
0: I was like telling Amelio, look, it doesn't have to be painful. Like we don't have to suffer through this. We can actually try to have a good time. Like, you know, so that was different. Because we used to, I mean, you know, for good reasons, but I used to cry all the time. (laughs) I used to cry every other practice because I was so enabled. I'm not, and I had to really learn how to play music, how to sing and how to write music as the band was already existing and performing. And, you know, I kind of learned that after the band started, you know. So yeah, like uh, this was really something. I I was I told I mean, like, look, uh, it really doesn't have to be painful. Let's try. But then also like I was like, I'm putting my foot down. I'm not giving up. Sort of like uh, you know, until I I have I have enough. I used to just write and walk away and then sort of let them take over. But then I I didn't do that so much on this record
1: yeah because it sounds
0: you know, because, it's, sorry no 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 i'm sorry because we have such a different style me and ame and you know, amelio goes goes for it like just layers and layers and layers and i like to keep space in music and so i think there is something I, we always did that but still on this album it's quite clear uh the contrast between his his songs and my songs in that sense I mean, it sounds
1: like you were kind of grappling with underestimating your skill set for for a long time. Um, because, I'm still. Yeah.
0: I'm still, yeah. But I think it's one of those, I'm one of those artists that propels out of insecurity, maybe, you know.
1: Well, tell me a bit about when you first, as a kid, started to feel kind of the artist in you emerging and, and what that, what that first felt like like when did art when did art first when did like art or culture things first really hit you as like oh shit
0: i mean japan is a very cultural place to grow up especially where i grew up kyoto and nara it's like it's just everything is sort of a craft and art you know and then my parents they shouldn't have done that if they didn't want me to be a musician but they really gave me every um opportunity to learn all the things, you know, from from piano to violin, to tea ceremony, to flower arrangement, to, you know, just the only thing I think I didn't learn was like ballet and um, everything else I, I kind of did.
1: Your parents were creative people as well?
0: No, I mean, not by occupation. I mean, yes, they are quite quite out there, of course. Yeah, actually, they make me look conservative compared to them. It's kind of really, really extreme people. But um, but I think it was never, like, clear transition, like, saying, like, to myself, I'm an artist. I was always the way I am I, from day one, I think. Yeah, weird space that, like, you don't know, you know, if people still say that, but, like, they don't know what I'm thinking. Like, what are you thinking? I've just been like that always. But
1: you did gravitate toward music as a kid. Mm-hmm. What was your first obsession with music?
0: Well, my father was obsessed with the music. There was a constant soft volume of classical music in my house. Like, he would have felt uncomfortable if there was no music. So, there's constant classical music going on in the house. And even my alarm was like Bach. That was just my, my air. So, and then I don't want to bore you, but my, my grandfather was violin, violinist as well. So yeah, I suppose I, I sort of have the background.
1: And you, you mentioned that there were piano lessons and everything. So was that the first instrument you really delved into?
0: Yeah, I really, I really disliked um, my piano teacher intensely. She was really uh, mean. I didn't, and I went through a few of them, but, uh, it's still, I think I'm a little OCD. So like, I remember, like, I couldn't stop doing some things when I started to, to play. I would just loop. I would be on the loop, you know, and somebody I have to like take me away, like, okay, enough. (laughs) I'm, I'm a little bit still like that on the way from Japan to Paris. I watched one film, I liked it. I watched, you know, it's like 14 hours trip. I watched it for like five times. I can relate to that.
1: I can relate to that. I would imagine too, that once you started to feel inspired to, you know, songwriting, even the earliest versions of just like a melody or whatever, that that repetitive behavior actually helps, right? It, It helps you to remember the idea. It helps you to keep testing, the idea over and over again is—is is that a feature of your songwriting as well? That kind of repetition.
0: Yeah, I used to say like it has to be good enough as a repetition. You know, I just always believed that answer was, was in there. You know, if the that repeti- certain repetition sounded compelling on and on and on, then you you have a song there. You know, I kind of feel like that still. What was some
1: of the music that you on your own chose to listen to repeatedly as a kid? Because obviously the classical music was always playing. But what were the things you discovered when you finally, you know, were old enough to go explore and, and check out other records?
0: You know, I, of course, I got kind of brainwashed by by classical music, especially Bach. My, my father loved him so much and Mozart. But then I, I craved something the very opposite, No. It turned out like, you know, it was first like rolling stones and things like that. But in the end, what, what what I was really drawn to is like blues and, you know, soul and things like that. And then somehow those two elements always come, comes out to me. Like everything I, I sing, I think it's blues based or the things I do, yeah. And when did
1: you actually start writing songs? Were were you still a kid or?
0: No, with Ame, I was, I really just started, you know, in the beginning you really, there's a sort of really old documentary that, I don't know if it's been released or not, but somebody made it and I was kind of resisted to be seen. So I, I never gave an approval for it to be viewed, but I watched it recently. And, um, I realized how really, like beginning of our career, it was already the second or third album, I mean, there was really like exploding with ideas and songs, you know, so his early songs are really strong, and the mine, I can't even call it really mine because I think he he helped so much. I mean, even today, he helps me a lot. but, um. I think I was already I didn't know this was a part of the songwriting, but I was already having my own thing from second album, I think you know it's such a like I think it the song is called rock off it's just blues it's just a blues, bluesy song
1: one of my favorite blonde redhead songs,
0: yeah, like I think that's blues I th- think you could you could call it that you know I think that's that song i don't it's I don't think that's something i To get from Ame or anyone else, but that I think that really comes from me, meaning based on my influence and my foundations. So that's, I think, I was already starting to to write songs. But then when I really felt like, oh, okay, I have some muscle in this. (sighs) I suppose misery is like the one I really, I try to really explore my sort of ego or something, you know?
1: How does your songwriting process kind of begin at this point? Like what, does it start with a feeling or does it start with setting aside the time? Tell me a bit about that.
0: It often comes from uh, old songs, kind of reaction to the old songs, or we were just simply rehearsing old songs to play on tour. And then those like practicing for the tours or soundtracks, those are the moment that it kind of pops up like ideas. It's a little bit of a contorted version of all the songs. It's either like reactionary because you're so sick of playing that songs on tour. Or, you know, So it's often sort of like mirror or how do you say, opposite image of the last album, I find.
1: So when you're, you know, feeling kind of a spark of an idea, where do you usually go with that? Do you, do you go lay your hands on a piano or do you...
0: Well, yeah, we, we try to work on music part a lot until, like you, I, we were saying about repetition. So we were like, work out the, the what's good enough repetition and sort of make a loop. And then at that point I start putting melody and the words, and then, after that, like we start arranging, because you know, melody gives a story, part A, part B, part C, even as a story, and then to that, we start like producing our songs. you know,
1: when it comes to the lyrics, is that uh, you know, how do you, how do you think your lyric writing process has changed or evolved? do you Do you feel like you have um sort of a a technique?
0: For lyrics i'm less inhibited now like i used to like not wanting to talk about yet i was already doing that like personal stuff or like just what's in my head i don't really like give it a really good rational whatever pops out i just i accept it as is it's really strange because it's so subliminal subconscious you know so Like, I don't even know why I'm remembering this, but like some overheard conversation of strangers, that could become a song, you know, something like that. But uh, mostly my approach is like the music is already giving so much feelings that I know what should be about. Because the music alone, it sounds like this is a conversational piece or it sounds like this is, she's not having what she really wants or you know just sounds like it's full of regrets or whatever i get i almost get sort of a visual visual sense like i see i see things and so i i kind of match to the characters that i'm seeing yeah it's quite visual actually
1: yeah as you're saying that i'm thinking about the video for the dress as an example of just like where it's it kind of becomes inseparable at a certain point this the scenes of the people crying and the and the song itself like such a beautiful example of where you're just like i don't even know how i don't even know how to separate the threads of what's fucking me up from this song and video you know
0: (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) it's really cool yeah no i think music is so visual like it's such a you see you see them somehow even though it, it is invisible but uh, I I see things you know when I hear I'm sure everybody does see things from music right
1: yeah I mean I think I think so even if you don't know that that's what it is you're there's an implied, yeah, yeah. there's an implied world that mm. when you're enjoying it and and I feel like maybe you know I also uh do have OCD so I can relate to as I said the repetition thing but You know, I think there's something with films as well, where if you can tap into an entire world, I watched a documentary about Brooke Shields this week, which um, is really a beautiful documentary. And ever since then, I keep having characters from the Brooke Shields documentary, like popping up in various scenarios and like a random thought, you know, which is like, I'm like, I really liked that documentary because I now I'm like walking around in it in like a back part of my brain
0: oh I need to see that
1: yeah it's great um but I was gonna mm. ask yeah, as a performer and when you first started performing with blonde redhead like where did you feel stage fright at first and and how did you kind of or did it always kind of come naturally to you how did you how have you evolved as a performer and and what's some of your inspiration on stage or or the feeling you're tapping into there
0: I don't know like we don't talk to the audience I'm not like entertainer you know and i, mean, I could be super goofy and i if i if anybody talks it's me and i don't know why but everybody's always laughing i'm there, especially he's like cracking up of anything i say on stage but it's a dangerous game when i talk to the audience i often make a mistake after that i think i need to feel like there's no one not of course there are people and then i get plenty of uh, energy from the audience, but I cannot actually think that they're there, you know, listening. I rather, I mean, even, I cannot even be aware of my own body, you know. The most successful moment show for me is that I I don't even feel like I'm singing or I'm playing, but I'm actually, it's just happening all around me, you know. That's sort of, that's sort of the feeling. I actually literally think to myself, you know, i kind of have this like urge to stop singing just because i feel like the voice will keep going you know i think it's a microphone that's singing it's really weird uh mm-hmm. <laughs> i know it sounds a little crazy but that's how i feel
1: it sounds like meditation kind of in a way where you're just like you've lost track of your body you've lost track of time
0: yeah there's no effort in it you know and it's really it doesn't happen all the time i wish it did but uh yeah it happens when you are on tour and i think i really don't like one-off shows because that's hard to happen for that to happen it's quite rare on one-off show but when you are when you're on this grueling schedule and and then and it, it gives it to you when you're like the star yeah, it really feels like it's not me who's playing; it's you know, somebody else.
1: Do you remember a recent, any recent performances that were, that were that special?
0: Yeah, I think happened. I mean, last time I remember, I think it was like a Paris show. I think I have quite good luck in Paris. I often feel like that, and then on the other hand, it quite often happens when you're like in total like like squat type, this is so like agitating kind of environment we often have in like, the best shows.
1: Who are some of the performers who kind of inspire you or whose energy on stage, you know, really strikes you?
0: Uh, these are the kind of questions that's most difficult for me.
1: I mean, even just thinking about like some of the collaborators you've had over the years, if you want to talk a bit about just sort of like, whether it's Unwound or Fugazi or some of these artists that are contemporaries and who I know you love sort of permanently.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, Unwound, they really were somewhere else really out there. I love, yeah, Fugazi too. I mean, he, he has like outer body experiences on a regular basis. I love Serge Gainswald so much. of course i I think Riji Sakamoto must be the ones that I really have no no control over my emotions. Like when I saw him at the Amory when he put out a sync album, I went to both nights, and I was just like sobbing the whole night. It just moved me so much and it's weird cuz i haven't even heard the album and the first note he started playing i was already like oh my god no you know and we really, a serious identity crisis to follow and all that but yeah he he's got to be he's got to be the one for me
1: you're saying you had an identity crisis after that show
0: uh, yeah after seeing lutis i couldn't write anymore i was still like working on on solo album and then yeah and he was helping me actually but uh so we were kind of working on music at the same time but he he finished it much faster and then put it out much faster but still yeah i had a really hard time um taking myself seriously and i actually had to like call him and say oh my god it he really done a number of me, like, I just can't work on music anymore, I, it, it shook me so deeply. And he was really kind because then he sent me some links of music that he he feels like para, paralyzed afterwards, listening to it. So he, he gave me some, like, I have mine too, you know. Oh, wow. That's
1: so interesting. I mean, it's, I guess that's something that can happen sometimes. It's a phenomena. And if it happens again, then you know what it, it what it is. It's that thing that just stops you for a, mi- for a minute. You know, because I guess I'm just wondering as we near, you know, the end of this. Like, do you feel now at this moment like you are are past the identity crisis? Do you feel do you feel like you know you know who you are as an artist at this point?
0: No, I will always have it. Yeah, and it's probably it, it, it could easily come from like listening to some like a very young person making music for the first time too you know you don't know but when you know like someone is so i think what moves me about the album he, he put out is just so close to who he is the core because he's you know stylistically he can do anything he wants but then this album in particular, I just felt that it was so close to who he is, how what he feels inside, and that's what like just um, kind of frightened me. Like you get somebody could actually get that close to who he is and what he wants, what he believes, and what he wants to hear. This is probably the music he really wants to hear. You know.
1: So the fact that someone could do that is intimidating because it suggests that you should also be able to do that. Same kind of thing for yourself,
0: well, yeah, I don't well at the same time, I don't even know I even have that kind of deep core in myself. I feel like I'm, I am so empty compared to him, you know, but then I the fact that i can I can hear it at least is a blessing, you know? Let's be how do you say realistic. I don't think at this point, I don't think anyone's gonna do something that hasn't been done. I think there are plenty of combination that feels so fresh today. I think that's that's always gonna happen. You know, it's like fresh version or very original personal version. It's just this combination has never been done. I think that's possible. But at this point, make music that nobody ever heard of, I don't think it I don't think that's possible really. I'm I, not a possible, but it's very unlikely to me, you know,
1: but it still feels new because of the human element.
0: Fresh, a different, yeah. A
1: different human doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's...
0: Yeah, 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 I mean, we already gone through the history of like somebody making a hole into the stick and then making another hole. So they they get a different, different key or, you know, we painted that history, you know, from that to now in that sense. I am not
1: sure, you know? I just want to describe that during the time that we've been having this conversation, the sun has completely set in the room where you are. And and so I feel like metaphorically, that brings us, uh, that ah. does bring us to the to the close. Oh, there it is, the light.
0: Am I like sitting in the dark? I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, it's all right. It was it was interesting to see actual time uh, visually <laughs> change. But yeah, I think that does us good for, for now, Kazu. Thank you so much for getting together to do this.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again to Kazu for that awesome conversation. And thank you again for listening to episode 95 of the LSQ podcast. Blonde Redhead have a North American tour starting on the West Coast, October 12th. And their website is blonde-redhead.com for info and tickets, etc. And to find me online, jennylsq.com and at jennylsq on social platforms. I'd love to hear from you. The next episode is with Molly from Always, followed by Jason Isbell later in October. Looking forward to sharing those as well. I'll talk to you next time.